So um, we are going to take some time now to get into God's word together. So uh, if you would, once you've flipped to Matthew chapter 7, go ahead and stand up for the reading of the word. There's some Bibles on the end of each row. If you don't have one with you today, if you don't own a Bible, you can take one of those with you. So we're going to read verses 7 through 11, chapter 7, verses 7 through 11 in the book of Matthew, first book in the New Testament. Hear the word of the Lord. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone, or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Lord, we, we um, lift up this time to you. We pray that you would enlighten our hearts, that you would open our hearts, that you would give us a wise and discerning um, minds uh, to interact with your scripture today. I pray that you would speak through my words, use me um, and my preparations, the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth. Uh, to encourage and inspire and challenge us as we look at this passage of Scripture together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Ask, and it will be given. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened. Such inspiring, powerfully motivating words that come from scripture, as well as words that are used to judge other people, used to create um, all kinds of internal problems and struggles within us and ripped completely out of context to turn God into some kind of cosmic slot machine in some places. But this passage, when we begin to understand it in the context that Jesus gives it to us in, it can give us a lot of hope. And I think that that is completely relevant to this time of Advent that we are in, this time of asking. This is a time of asking. Is he coming? How soon will he be here? And so as we look at this scripture together, there's, there's a lot of really beautiful, inspiring passages, and I hope that you feel inspired to pray and to ask God for things uh, as we unpack this passage. And I also want to address some of the questions that will inevitably come up in your mind if you've ever put these verses into practice. And so... Um, I want to go ahead and, and pop those questions up that we're going to be looking at together as we explore these verses in Matthew and the importance of asking questions. We're going to 
ask and, and try to answer three different questions together. So the first is, why do we ask for things? Like any of us, ask for anything at all. And then where we start in the scripture here, the second question is, how did Jesus tell us to ask? Because in this passage he is, he's actually uh, commanding us, telling us, this is how you should ask. And lastly, does this asking actually change anything? It's a really important question, especially for two groups of people. One, the person who's grown up in church, been steeped in theology, and learned that God is just going to, he's, he's omnipotent, he's sovereign, he is unchangeable, he is all of those things, which he is, um, that he's already predestined everything that will ever happen and anything that ever could happen. So that question's important for those people. It's also important to those of us who maybe didn't grow up in church and in moments of desperation, we've asked God for something and we did not see the result that we hoped to see. Maybe we felt like God didn't answer at all and was completely silent. So we've got these three questions that we are going to uh, talk through, explore, and maybe even find some answers. You ever been walking down the street in Memphis? Probably, if you walk down the street in Memphis, this probably happened to you some, at some point. And somebody is, uh, could be blocks, could be like a whole block down the street. And they're like, hey man, hey, hey, hey man, hey, 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 hey man, hey, 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 hey man, hey, how you doing? Hey, 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 hey. Anybody? From like a block down. Yeah, that's happened to me before. Normally, I just wave. I'm like, nope, because I got to go. Like, you're a block away, all right? Maybe if you were a lot closer than that, then I'm going to talk to you. But what this, this guy, is, he's, he's probably a panhandler, right? He's probably going to ask you for some money or something like that. And what this guy knows is he knows the power of asking, of getting your attention, of coming up and just asking you for something. How hard have you avoided in your life being asked for something by someone? You knew if you saw that someone, if you crossed paths with them in the hallway at work or in your house or out on the street that they would ask you a question. Why do we do that? Why is it so scary sometimes? Or why do we avoid at all costs just to be asked a question? The panhandler, he could, he could just as easily find a sharp object somewhere and come up to you and try to force you to give you some money, give him some money or your purse or whatever, and some people do that. But by and large, most people just ask. They know something fundamentally true about us as human beings, that there is a power and a depth to a question posed to us, that there is actually something fundamental to us as created, fragile, finite beings about asking a question. There is power in a question. My little girl Malia knows this right now. 
her favorite phrase is, mommy, hold you, mommy, hold you. That's, that's her way of asking the question of, mommy, will you, will you hold me? Will you care for me? Benjamin, he'll just, if we're at the dinner table and he runs out of water, he'll just like shake his water bottle in your face. But, but they know something, something that doesn't even really have to be learned, that to be asked a question is just a powerful, fundamental part of humanity and the way the universe works. Do you know animals don't ask questions? Like even uh, chimpanzees who can sign language and say a bunch of stuff, they don't ask questions. There's only one animal that's ever asked an existential question before. Anybody guess what kind of animal? Anybody know? A parrot. It was a gray parrot, and he asked what color he was. Yeah, I, I spent some time researching that. I got interested, and, and uh, I was like, "It's you know." I, I assumed there were animals that really asked questions, but as I got into the research and really put on my research cap and got into it and read a bunch of articles and studies, are y'all are y'all glad how I spent my time preparing for this sermon? <laughs> I wasn't exegeting Greek. I was seeing if parrots could ask questions. Yeah, so why do we do that? That's the first question I I wanted us to think about. Why do we ask for so many things? We ask, even if we're not asking, if you're really good at like the codependent thing and you grew up where you were given such and such sort of understanding that you're not supposed to ask for things, you're not supposed to be needy, you still do it. You just say things more like, um, oh my gosh, I'm so hungry right now in front of somebody who's making dinner, right? Oh my, the last time I ate a good home-cooked meal, you just ask without asking, right? Or you say, if you wanna know if you look good, You might say something like, oh man, this outfit, I just, you know, I just threw it together and I couldn't find the clothes I really like. Knowing your friend's gonna say, girl, you look good, you look so nice. Oh, thanks, right? We ask even when we're not asking. And we're needy. We we are actually really needy. So some of us were like, we struggle with with this idea of, of, uh, this idea of being dependent on other people. Oh, I hate being dependent on other people. I'm really self-sufficient. No, you're not. Did you go to the grocery store any time in the past month? What did you do when you got there? Did you plant your own crops and harvest them and package them and then bring them home with you? No, you bought them like somebody else did all that work. And they couldn't have done that work if there wasn't rain and irrigation systems and the sun didn't shine and all types of other things that we really don't have a lot of control over happened. We are interdependent beings. And so we have to ask for things. If you had parents or anybody at all raised you in any way, shape, or form, which that would be everybody, right? You probably asked literally thousands to millions of requests to that person who raised you. Um, We are made 
ask questions. We can't help but ask questions. Even if we think about the very first people that we read about in the story of Genesis, Adam and Eve, they, they wanted to avoid being able to ask God for things. They wanted to have the knowledge that God forbid them to have so they wouldn't have to ask for anything anymore. This is the basis of all religion, actually, is asking a question. Do the gods care? Does God care? How can I make God concerned with my situation? How can I get God to give me the things that I need? And so this question, this idea of a question is really powerful. And the, the, the basic answer to that question, why do we ask for things, is because God made us for relationships. For some of you, that, that might be all you need to hear this morning is you were made to ask for things from God and from other people. You were made for interdependence, to be dependent on others and to be dependent on God because that's how God made you. It's a whole lot of work to fight that. So God made us for relationships. So when Jesus says, in chapter seven, verse seven, he says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. He is telling us what to do as disciples of Jesus in the kingdom of heaven. He's also just simply pointing to the reality of the cosmos, of how things were made to be. We were made to ask and to seek and to knock and to receive. The kingdom of heaven isn't some otherworldly spiritual thing where everything's like bleached white and there's spirits floating around. It's just how things were meant to be. We were meant to do these things in the Sermon on the Mount, to live this way as human beings. So God made us for relationship. Why do we ask for things? Because God made us for relationships. As we keep looking, as we keep looking into this passage in verse seven, there's a couple of things Jesus is telling us, that second question, how, does, how, did, um, how did Jesus tell us to ask? Maybe I have a typo on that question. Oh, how does Jesus tell us to ask? Because he says, ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. So he's saying a couple of things here. He's saying there will be results of your asking, of your prayers, there will be results. And some of you may be in your mind right now and for good reason, you're asking the question, but what about when there isn't? We're gonna get there. So this is what Jesus, he's telling us to ask in this way. He says that we are told to ask repeatedly. Actually, in the, in the Greek, oh, I did study a little bit of Greek before this passage, not just parrots. There's a tense of the verb called the present imperative in ask, seek, and knock. And it means asking, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. And so he's telling us to ask with persistence, to continue to ask. There's a 
parable that he tells right next to this passage in the book of Luke. And in the book of Luke chapter 18, it's called, uh, it's like subtitled The Persistent Widow. And so you got this widow, this older uh, lady who has been done wrong. And she's going to this judge. And this judge, it says about this judge that he neither fears God nor cares for man. And this widow goes to this judge to to correct the injustice done to her, and the judge doesn't care. But the widow just keeps on going, keeps on coming back to him and worrying him and bothering him until he finally says, he says out loud, I neither fear God nor care for man, but because this woman just keeps bothering me, I'll give her justice. And then Jesus says, well, if that guy, even though he is so unjust, if he will provide you justice, if you keep on bothering him, how much more your heavenly father who is just? So Jesus tells us to ask with persistence. And there's some problems that come up in our mind with that one as well. Like, do I really have to bug God like that? Do I really just have to like keep asking him like the, like talk to God like the panhandler? Hey, hey, God, hey, God, 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 hey, 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 hey. I've heard somebody pray like that before. (laughs) At least they're passionate. But there is something that God's saying to keep on asking. Jesus is saying, keep on asking. We'll, we'll, We'll get back to some of the questions about that in a moment. And Jesus is telling us also to ask boldly. He, he, in fact, he doesn't think just pray, using the word pray is enough. He uses ask, seek, and knock. Asking, giving, uh, you know, with a question, with a verbal question, you're asking, but then also seeking. Seeking implies that you're, you're actually looking, you're actually studying, you're actually um, going and finding another place, another space to find out about who God is, that you are persistent in looking around to find the answers that you need in this kingdom of heaven, that there are resources There are resources that God has placed around you, 40 leaders, to seek out what you need from God. And so he's saying, not don't just pray, ask and seek and knock. Like you are knocking on that door. There's another parable he tells about a guy who's knocking on the door at midnight. And the guy's in bed with his kids, which that happens to me by like 3 a.m. My kids are in bed with me. Uh, At least Benjamin is with his foot like pressing against my face. And he says, uh, you know, that the guy's gonna come and help him even though it's midnight and won't go into the why, but basically this metaphor of the knocking and looking for things that way. This is the way Jesus is telling us to ask, to be so persistent and to seek so diligently and to knock against a barrier that's in the way in order for the door to be open, in order to find, in order to be answered, that that is how God wants us to ask. I hadn't been asking like that for a while. I, I, I read that and, and it, it kind of like, like pumps me up, 
but it's not enough. It's not enough for me to be just told to ask like that by Jesus. And you know what? Jesus knew that because that's not the end of the passage, right? But we do know right here the basic answer. How, how did Jesus tell us to ask? He, he's telling us to ask with expectant regularity. On a regular basis, we're asking, we're seeking, we're knocking for this kingdom wisdom, for this way to live that we struggle with intensely as disciples of Jesus. Once we've believed Jesus and we've entered into this conversation and this life that we are to ask in this way. But let's look at verse 8 together as we continue to consider Jesus' words about this asking. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. So he, he takes the opportunity to really say that twice in a row. This isn't, uh, this isn't actually new. Remember, if you've been with us any time in this series, in the Sermon on the Mount that we've been in for several weeks now, really looking at the path of Jesus. What does it mean not just to be called a Christian, but to be a disciple of Jesus, a follower of the way? That's what the early Christians called themselves, followers of the way. What does that look like? As we've been looking at that Sermon on the Mount, um, we have seen that Jesus is talking about teachings that have already existed in Scripture. And here, it's most connected to the wisdom literature and the Psalms, so Proverbs and Psalms, that the, the, uh, the idea of wisdom is personified all throughout the book of Psalms, that if you seek her, you will find her. And so Jesus isn't necessarily saying anything new to us, like in the Psalms, if you delight in the Lord, he will delight in you. If you seek him out, he will be found, all of those types of things. But how do we deal with all these questions that start to come up? If you've ever prayed, and I bet you have, even if you don't believe in God, you've probably prayed one time or two, What do we do when we try to ask this way? Because if I'm honest with myself, there are times when I have been this fervent in prayer, where I have tried to call down the legions of angels with my prayers. And sometimes I've seen effects and changes in the world around me, and sometimes I haven't seen any. And so I got questions, and I bet you got questions too. Here's, here's some of those questions as we consider our third, our third big question, which is, does asking change anything? One question, God already knows everything, and he knows whatever I want, so why do I need to pray to ask? Or I've asked for things before, and I haven't received them. Why should I keep praying? Or will God listen to somebody like me who's a sinner, who sinned yesterday, who fell back into uh, some habitual sin in my life or an addiction? Will he listen to somebody like me? Does God actually answer prayers? Does God actually answer our prayers? 
Does it change anything? Let's, uh, let's read the rest of this passage and see Jesus in anticipation of our questions already has an answer for us here. In verse 9, pick up with me in verse 9. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give give good things to those who ask him. So Jesus is giving us a teaching here. It's something uh, that many of us are probably familiar with if you've been uh, able to hang with us through this Sermon on the Mount. He's, he's giving us a, a light and heavy uh, philosophical approach to this idea. Uh, so giving something that's easy to see and believe first so that we can better apply that to something that is more difficult to understand. Another way of looking at that might be to say that A is greater than B, and so then if B is greater than C, then A must be greater than C. All right, did I lose about like, let's see, 70% of you, maybe 30% really like math, you know, and do really well thinking about that kind of stuff? I don't. I was a solid C plus math student. But this idea of light and heavy, and I also just want to clear this up. Sometimes when we read through these passages and Jesus says a bunch of stuff, we're like, whoa, that was really intense, Jesus. When he says uh, that you're evil, like even though you're evil and he just kind of throws that out there, that's typical Hebrew hyperbole um, saying that a lot of times when you say evil or hate, it's like less good or less likely or those kind of things. It's, it's hyperbolic language. So he's not saying um, that like uh, you're totally without any good. He's not appealing to the total depravity that we uh, learn about in Calvinism if you're, um, if you're familiar with that. I'm not saying he believes or doesn't believe it. I'm just saying that's probably not what he's appealing to here. So I just want to get that out of the way. So in verse 9, he says, which one of you asks his son for bread? We'll give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So he's saying um, that not that God is like us in that we have fathers and mothers who give us good gifts, but that we, when we do those things, are like God. So if you think about it, if you think about the, the relationship that we talked about of asking, just this natural way that the world and the cosmos are tied up in this means of asking questions, also the idea of parenthood is. So when a child asks for something, there's something deep inside of a parent that wants to fulfill that for them, that wants to give them something good. And it's not that God is like us in that way, it's that we are like God. So when we look at the relationship between a child and a parent, we can think about God in the same way. Some of us, it's just for that simple fact that we don't bring our petitions before God because we don't think of him as a good father. 
We think of him as this distant, cosmic, unblinking stare who set the world in motion and knows how everything's gonna end up and has no desire to change anything. And so we don't bother to ask him about much unless we're really sick or somebody we know is really sick or we've been unemployed for a long time and things feel really desperate. But when we consider those questions, let's apply the idea of God as Father to those questions I mentioned, up, mentioned earlier, some of those questions that we would have about prayer. So God already knows everything I want, so why do I need to pray to ask? He knows what I want, he knows what I need, and even in chapter six he says that, your heavenly Father already knows what you need. I'll use an example in my life. My children, Benjamin and Malia, I know what they need. They need food, they need clothing, they need shelter, they need to be saved like 10 times a day from killing themselves by electricity or fire or moving vehicles or, you know, any balancing on a chair, all types of things. But even though I know what they need, Benjamin still, as a four-year-old, he can ask me for things that maybe I wasn't intending on him helping me do or something that he wants and it's my pleasure to hear those requests from him and to be able to answer him. And sometimes the answer is no. No, Benjamin, you cannot operate the circular saw to cut these things in the backyard. Yeah, I wish you could. And when you're older, you might be able to, but not right now. Yeah, yes, Benjamin, you can put that stick on the brush fire that we were burning yesterday in the backyard if you do it in these ways. And so it's my pleasure and it's my joy, even though I know what he needs, and I know what he needs in general and specific, what he needs to flourish as a four-year-old boy. It still gives me the utmost pleasure for him to request those things for me. But unlike me, who is evil, God doesn't get tired of the questions. He doesn't get like, oh my God, Benjamin, okay, all right, just give me like, I told him this the other day, I was trying to do like a workout in the back, we do a lot of things in our backyard, all right? So I was trying to do like a workout in the backyard and he was asking me every single question, questions I'd never thought about in my entire life about working out. And I said, can you just give me a break? And he said, okay, daddy, I'll give you a break from questions. And then he asked me another question right after that. <laughs> that doesn't happen with God. The great thing about him is not that he's unchanging, it's that he has the capacity to listen to every single one of our requests. He's a cosmically uh, aware being that can treat each of us as his child. What a beautiful, amazing thing. So even though God knows, he wants you to ask, just like I want Benjamin to ask, just like I want Malia to ask. One, that's one of our, our questions. You know what? Not, not only that, let's, let's think back to Adam and Eve. They, they wanted to get away from having to ask God for things. They wanted to get away from asking God about what's good and what's evil. They wanted to take that on themselves. They wanted to be in the position of God, not dependent upon God any longer. You know what God created them to be? He created them to rule and reign with him, to have dominion over the earth, to cultivate it, to create new things, to, to be a co-creator with God. That, that's his intent for us. And when we pray, 
That's what, that's what one of his goals is for us when we ask. He wants us to appeal to him to change reality. I am absolutely convinced that out of every single one of us in this room right now, that there are things that God is just waiting for you to ask him about. He just is waiting to unleash some things in this world that are only in your heart, only in your heart, and you've never even decided that it was worth asking him for it. I want to see the prayer time full down here, y'all, at the end of service. If there's nobody coming down for prayer this morning, my God, I'm hanging it up. I'm never preaching again. Because there are some things that we need to bring before God, some things in the deepest of your heart that you hadn't dare hoped for out loud. There are things inside of you that this world needs so bad, and God made you to be a part of that with him. And he's saying, are you going to ask me? Are you going to ask me for those things? Do you have the courage? Do you have the hope? Do you have the proper relationship with your fear of it not happening that you can have faith to ask for those things? It might seem like a small thing to somebody else. It might just be you finally conquering that addiction in your life or being able to break through to a new point in your marriage. It might be a certain kind of job or thing that you want to see happen in the world that you know can happen and there's a beautiful place for it, but you have no idea how to get there. Jesus says to keep asking. So this next question comes up. Does prayer really change anything? I've asked for things before and I haven't received them. That's why, Jamin, like, quit trying to inspire me. To do, I've already done it. I've asked and it didn't happen. Why should I keep praying? Uh, imagine, imagine this scenario. Imagine if Benjamin said to me, hey, uh, Dad, I won't go on a bike ride without you. I don't need you. Or like Malia, I took her to the pool at the Croc, her and Benjamin, and I was trying to help her. She's one and a half, and she had this little puddle jumper thing on. It's a little floaty, but she was dipping forward into the water, and so I would help her up, and she'd say, do it by myself. <laughs> what if I said, okay, I'll let you do it by yourself. I'd be down a daughter. <laughs> Oh, that breaks my heart to even say out loud. So, what if God operated like that? What if you were really sure you wanted something, you were really confident that you needed it, and God knew you would kill yourself and 10 other people, and you would ruin a whole bunch of folks' lives if he gave that to you at this point in your life right now. And he said, okay, he pulled that slot machine, woo, playing to win, and you got it. Thank God he doesn't give us those things. But he's listening. I'm listening to what my children want. I'm listening. I know Malia has the desire to be able to swim by herself. And I'm constructing and changing the reality around her that I can in order to help her meet that goal. Benjamin wasn't like that when he was one and a half. He wanted help. He wanted lots of help swimming. 
But my children are different. They're communicating different desires to me, and I'm listening to them in different ways. There's something that you stopped praying for, and maybe God just wants to hear from you that you still care about it. Maybe you need to know for yourself that you care about it enough to pick the ball back up and keep asking and keep seeking and keep praying for that thing again. Amen. Amen. I'm excited about it. I've found in the past couple weeks when I've been looking at this passage, I've found myself praying for some of the smallest little things that I had stopped praying for since I was a high schooler, praying to pass a test I didn't study for, and there's no reason I should pass that test. And thank God he didn't let me pass that test. Yeah, that put a dangerous person in this world. But I was, I was trying to make it to the airport, and it was right after Thanksgiving, and I was way too late to the airport, and I was praying for a parking spot, because I pulled up into the Memphis airport, and it tells you how many spots are open on each floor, and usually, by the time Jared's nodding his head, he works at the airport, he's a pilot, by the time you get to the fourth level, it's like 100-something spots are open, seventh level, there's like a couple hundred, The, the top level, there's like 300. Well, weekend after Thanksgiving, it was full, full, four, full, five, full, full. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to miss my flight. I'm not going to be able to work. I was going all the way to Brooklyn, y'all. It wasn't like I was going to Nashville or something. And I just prayed. I said, God, there's no reason I should get a parking spot, but I would really appreciate that. (laughs) Daddy, please, please, daddy. And I rolled onto that first floor and there was one right there. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, I don't know if that, I don't know if that worked or not, but there's a, there's a famous quote uh, from this guy, and I, I want to tell you his name, uh, William Temple. He says, when I pray, coincidences happen, and when I don't, they don't. <laughs> so, good thing God doesn't answer all our requests the way we want them to be answered and the timing we want them to be answered because he's a good dad. He's a good dad. Oscar Wilde, the author, he says, he says this about wanting things and asking for things. He says, in this world, there are only two tragedies. One is not getting what one wants and the other is getting it. Did you hear that? Did you get that? <laughs> so... Thank God he's not a cosmic slot machine, but he's a good father. Will God really listen to a sinner like me? Sometimes we don't pray because we think I'm not good enough to pray. The book of James says, the prayers of a righteous man availeth much. Jesus tells us a story about a son, two sons, and one who goes off and wastes his inheritance with wild living and uh, man, what's the, 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 the King James version? It's so great what, he, what they say. Licentious and wild living or something like that. And the son decides, you know, I'm going to come home to my dad. I'm, I'm feeding, feeding the pigs. I've gotten a point. I've wasted all my money. My friends left me. I probably have an STD. And I'm sitting in here with the pigs, feeding the pigs. And yeah, I'm sorry, parents. I'm sorry. I'm feeding the pigs. And maybe I could just go home, and maybe my dad will at least take me back as a servant, as a slave. And you remember this story? When he comes back, the, the daddy's waiting for him, and he runs to meet him, 
and puts the cloak over him and puts the family ring on his finger and throws a giant feast and a party because it's not just anybody who came back. It's his baby boy came back. It's his baby boy that came back home. That cloak, that ring that 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 daddy puts on his son, that's the righteousness. He's putting that cloak of righteousness on his son, even though he doesn't deserve it. He does it because that's his baby boy. So if you think, I got to get it cleaned up, I got to get it figured out, I got to get my life figured out before I come to God with these requests, why would God listen to me? Well, the answer to our question, does asking change anything? What's the answer? What's the answer? We are to ask God as a child asks the Father. That's your answer to that question. Does asking change anything? He's your daddy. Of course it changes something. So, um, there's another aspect to all of this. There, there's another aspect to this idea as we move in, in, into the end part of our, our sermon um, that deals with changing things. When we ask for things, it oftentimes involves the will, the will, the heart motivation, the heart, the, the mind, will, and emotions of other people, their hearts. So for example, if you're asking for something to change in your marriage, which if you're married, then you should be praying that because all of our marriages can change for the better. I'll be, be the first one. I hope my wife's praying for me to change. But when you're asking for these things, if you're asking for a new job, somebody's got to offer that job. If you're asking for poverty and war to cease, which I do, and I'm really upset about that all the time, that involves a whole lot of other people's wills and what they're choosing to do. And can you imagine, just imagine for a moment God's perspective about all that. He's got billions of people praying to him with totally different motives. You think a man in power who's committing genocide or responsible for genocide or is praying for his family to be happy and okay and he's a venture capitalist who's intentionally destroying the lives and jobs of other people, how do you think it is for God to deal with the prayers of those people as well as yours, as well as the people suffering the injustice? God's dealing with all of that. He's hearing all of those things. And what is his goal? Romans tells us it's that many would come to repentance. So here, here's what I would say. Let, let God have it. Do not hold back. Ask him about everything. Seek about all those things. Knock, knock and ask the door to be open, knowing that even though you don't need to hold back, God does. 
God has a much bigger responsibility than you because you're the kid and he's the daddy and that's how it should be. So go ahead and let it out like Benjamin and Malia do. They're just going to say what they want. I'm the one and Becky's the one who's got to deal with the answer to that. So just because you don't see it changing, just because it breaks your heart and you're crying on the floor because you lost somebody or because something's happening in the world that you care deeply about or right here in our very city, don't stop asking about those things. There is power in those requests. So the will of other human beings has a lot to do with that. God is patient, not just with you, but with everyone as he considers how we pray and how we ask. A lot of times in the modern North American evangelical context, every sermon that you hear, you're thinking about how this applies to just you, usually, right? You're thinking in your own head and your own heart right now, like, okay, here's what I'm going to do differently. Here's how I'm going to pray this, that, and the other. But that's not how Jesus's disciples would have been thinking about this. They would have been thinking about it in the context of community. Even Jesus didn't pray alone very often. He often asked for other people to pray with him, especially if it was a big problem, like dying on the cross for our sins. He wanted his disciples to be praying with them, but they were sleeping. I was about to bust somebody out. (laughs) I'm not going to do that. Um, So we pray together. There's 40 leaders here that will pray with you that want the will of God for your life and want to be a safe person for you to pray with and explore the deepest depths of the desires of your heart. And that is really important to this passage. Here, Mrs. Whatever burden you're going to walk away with, if you're, the, if you're the type of person who likes to, don't, you don't like, but you've learned, okay, this means I got to pray more and you want to turn it into this religious thing. No, this is about praying to your daddy. So think about it like if Malia and Benjamin are asking me for something together, how much more is that effective? Like they're both wanting the same thing. They're listening to each other. They're crafting their responses a little bit differently based on what the other one's saying. That's a good thing, talking to your daddy like that. And also hearing how other people talk to their dad. You know, in all of ancient Jewish literature, everything that preceded Jesus, there were no religious leaders, no rabbis, no anybody that called God Father like Jesus does in this passage. And he used the word Abba, which meant daddy. That's what he means. And we come to him together, not just Uh, separately. And Drew has actually, um, for the next three weeks, starting next week, starting this Wednesday, is having a prayer time at the church, Advent prayer time for the next three Wednesdays in a row at 7 a.m. at the church office. It's the fifth floor of Playhouse on the Square, right around the corner from here. And there's details in uh, the bulletin. And so um, that would be a great way to exercise that community aspect of prayer, asking for things, hoping for things that maybe you'd given up hoping for or asking God for. And there'd be some liturgy involved there, but also some free time to pray and things like that. Um, So 
the last thing I want to share with you is about this importance of, of prayer. And uh, it's just a quick reading from uh, a tale of St. Francis praying with his buddy, uh, Brother Theo. Leo, I mean, Leo. And so as we consider these ideas, this, does asking change anything? Let's listen to this example of corporate prayer as we, as we go into prayer. Sorry for those of you who might be used to homilies instead of sermons, because I know uh, this, this has been a sermon, a long one. So St. Francis wanted to pray, and they didn't have any liturgy with them. And he said uh, to his friend, Dear son, we have no breveries to pray matins. I don't even know what those things are. But by so in order that we may spend, still spend this time in praising God, I will speak, and you will answer as I instruct you. So this is St. Francis talking to Brother Leo. And be careful not to change the words in any way. I shall say something like, Oh, Brother Francis, you have committed so many sins and evils in this world that you really are deserving of hell. And then brother Leo, you should answer, how true. In fact, you deserve the lowest depths of hell. I knew Francis well enough by then to humor him. So I agreed saying, anything you say, father, I'm ready in the name of God. So then Francis began to lament, oh brother Francis, you have committed so many sins and evils in the world that you are deserving of hell. Then in spite of myself, I answered, so this is all from Leo's perspective, God will work so much good through you that you will go to paradise. But Francis objected saying, no brother Leo, that is not it. Rather, when I pray, brother Francis, you have worked so much iniquity against God that you are worthy of his curse. You say, I agree totally. You are worthy to be numbered among the damned. Right, I said, now I've got it. So once again, Francis cried along with tears and sighs and the beating of his breast. Oh, my Lord of heaven and earth, I have wrought so much iniquity. I have sinned so often against you that I am altogether deserving to be damned by you. But try as I might, I could only answer, oh, brother Francis, good will work in you so powerfully that among the blessed, you will be most blessed. So this goes on for a while. And what Leo says at the end, because St. Francis gets so upset with him, is he just says, I had every intention of answering the way you wanted me to. But God was speaking through my mouth. All I could say was those affirmations that God was giving me. And I just want to leave that with you for the, the, the last thing that we have to think about is praying together, is hearing God's heart for you with other people as well. There's a quote in your bulletin at the bottom, tiny little quote. It says, does prayer change God or change me? Rachel said yes. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this passage, for this encouragement. I pray that we would be able to think rightly about you as our heavenly father, as our daddy, and that we would bring requests before you, that we would hope again in the things that we have stopped hoping for. And that you would meet us in those times as, as we bring them before you. In Jesus' name, amen.